This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Front Office Features. Uh, This week's guest strikes home for me as the New York Giants Premium Sales Director, Christy Landy. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm very happy to be here. So as most of our listeners know, I started my career with the New York Giants, so this interview really hits home for me, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but it's amazing to me that Almost all of my former coworkers 17 years ago are still there, which speaks volumes to the organization you're currently at. <laughs> it sure does. Um, and I'm actually a, still a huge and grew up a huge Giants fan. So I, this this interview for me is kind of beneficial more to me than everyone else, but I'll leave it at that. Um, Christy, you have started in hockey, made your way over to football, but I want to kick it over to you. Can you just give a very quick overview of your career path and, and what you currently do with the Giants? Sure. Um, So I started my career um, getting a leg up in sales by working for an insurance company. Um, So I started that and I realized because I knew I wanted to be in sales, loved every part of it. And um, I took a test and I worked on 100 percent commission, um, which I think is so relevant to my future. Um, And I realized that after a couple of years. Uh, and then I started in, um, I was offered a position in Florida and I started in South Florida with the Panthers as a, um, as a new business development sales rep, basically sold everything from season tickets, um, to club seats and suites and groups. And then I, um, luckily, uh, they were opening a new stadium, uh, back in, you know, back in my home area, at least in, uh, in North Jersey for the Jets and the Giants. And I received a call to come there and help them open this new stadium, which I was told at the time was going to be a 12-month program. Once we sell out, we'd move on. And eight years later, I was still there um, overseeing, uh, you know, some some sales teams. And so that ended up being about an uh, eight-year gig. And, um, And then I moved on to Madison Square Garden where um, I oversaw uh, group sales for both the sports and entertainment uh, sides of the business. Um, And I was there for just about three years. And uh, this position opened up here with the Giants. And I was lucky enough to be the one chosen uh, as the senior director of premium sales. Um, And one last thing here, my focus is um, selling out the remaining PSLs in the building as well as our suite inventory. That's awesome. So, I mean, the the jump from going from Florida and selling hockey in South Florida, which we know brings its challenges, how did that help you transition into 
uh, the Giants and Jets new stadium. Because when I was at the Giants, it was still old Giants stadium. The new talk was just starting to happen. And typically those two organizations had never really been faced with sales, right? So like they've just used to be, hey, we're playing and people would show up and they had a waiting list for people to get in the door. What what did you learn during your time in, in Florida where it was you probably had to grind out every type of opportunity, call, prospect to transition that into your success you've had in the New York, New Jersey area with those teams? You know, selling for a team that's just not successful in a, you know, with a fan base that's just fickle um, and they're just going after the hot team, um, it was it helped me so much grow my sales skills. You know, it made you focus so much on how can I break in the door and ask the right questions. And I tell everyone, like when you start off with a team that is not successful on the court, on the field, on the ice, um, you are better for it. And to, you know, to have started in the NFL, um, no matter the team, the NFL is, can be somewhat of an easier sell this was like, this was like me just saying, ha- selling ice hockey in South Florida was one of the biggest challenges, but it resulted in me just honing my sales skills and every turn, um, understanding, you know, how to keep people involved, excited, you know, feel valued as a season ticket holder, knowing that every time they come to a game, they're not watching a winning team. And it just, it just grew, it grew me in so many ways and my sales skills, it just helped me grow professionally um, and really, you know, took an understanding to the, um, really the fan base and trying to provide value was not easy, but it really helped me grow. I love that because we, we, we talk about this a lot where, People get enamored early in their career about saying who they work for or thinking that the big flashy team or organization might be the right opportunity for them just because of the name on the front, right? But in regards to actually growing your your career and setting yourself up for success, sometimes the team that needs the help is the one where you're actually going to make hay and actually learn and hone your skills. My first my first sales job was in hockey too, is with the team across the street from you guys was at the time was the Devils and coming off of a strike. I learned if I could sell NHL hockey coming off of a lockout in 2005 for the team that's arguably the least popular team in the tri-state area as the Devils, there was nothing I couldn't do. So <laughs> selling, so true. selling Florida, selling hockey in South Florida, there is probably nothing harder than that in terms of sports to get your feet wet in the door. It's so, so It's so true. It really is. And I worked through the lockout as well because um, I was there for about six years and Um, you know, when you come off of that lockout, like you, you just had to be your authentic self. You know, I took my, my accent and people, you know, I just started conversations about that. Everyone brought it up. Oh, you know, what part of New York are you from? And then next thing you know, you know, I built relationships where, as we all know, it was just people just wanted to talk to me and I ran with that. It was like, all right, if you want to make fun of my accent or my raspy voice, great. Let at least I have you talking. And uh that's what I kind of, you know, I just I found an in, Chris, and I just, you know, I just went with it. And you, you know, you learn, you learn a lot from that. So I enjoyed it. That that's a great 
transition into the world of sales and sports, right? So like, I think there's a lot of misconceptions on what we do or how we do go about our day-to-day business. But what you just said is like, essentially, you're just having a conversation with somebody on a regular basis and listening, right? A lot of people just want to talk. And if you just be a good listener, you eventually get to the answers to the test. They'll just eventually give them to you if you ask good questions and sit back and have a conversation and develop that rapport relationship. What, what, are, what do you think makes someone successful in our business in, in a role at an entry level, getting into ticket sales, maybe at a minor league level or, or a team, like you said, that isn't necessarily successful on the court? Like, yeah, LeBron James shows up, not very hard, right, to sell season tickets. Right. But if you're selling for a team that's historically not been um, either perennial contender or minor leagues, uh, which is another place I ended up in my career, you really have to to learn how to sell. So what do you think, what traits do you see even some of your staff that you, along the way that has been made people successful early in their career? I have, I have managed so many different types of people, entry level, people that have been on the job for 10 years selling. Um, I've managed, you know, all different types of people. And I f- have always found the one thing that stands out is how authentic someone is to themselves, right? I'm not a script person. I've never been. Um, There are things that you should say and questions you should ask, but you have to do it being yourself. So if you're not yourself on the phone, someone sniffs that out in a heartbeat, especially in the Northeast. And when I came to the Jets and I, I found that people were trying to say the things maybe I would say or say someone else, well, what's authentic to you, right? You come from the South. You might not be as straightforward as me. You may be a little bit softer in your approach. Different approaches can be successful, but you just have to be authentic to who you are. And to me, I would have my sales reps that were struggling put a sticky note right on their laptop that said, be yourself. Do not be somebody else. Do not say things that doesn't roll out of your mouth the right way. You have to be innate to who you are. And I, I think that that has driven the most success from what I've seen in my in my career. I couldn't agree more. Like it's it's cliche, but people buy people, right? They're not necessarily buying the product. You can sell anything to someone that's your best friend. If they like you, they'll trust you. They'll buy from you versus trying to come up with some scripted cold call that is making everyone a robot. That takes away what we actually are as people, right? And people can see right through all that. So true, 100%. And I think, you know, just like, I want to lead my people and, and be transparent. Like we, we have to respect that our fans are, you know, really smart and understand sports and understand the team. So when someone says your team sucks, you know, I might not turn around and say, yep, all the time, but I might, you know, I'm not going to sell them that Roberto Luongo is going to get us to the Stanley cup finals, right? I'm going to be realistic with the team we have around us and, you know, and, and really have a, a a transparent conversation with them. Um, Of course, there are points that I'm selling the team and I can, you know, agree to disagree with their points. But as long as you are straight up and honest with, with people, um, I think that they, they just want to continue to talk to you because they buy and trust you. Sports fans are crazy. And that's why they're called fans, but they're they're educated, right? Like they want to be able to feel like they're talking to the person who gets what they're saying and is like, feels that same passion that they do. Cause if they, if they feel that they're going to trust you and and empower you to be able to make decisions on their behalf, whether it be with their money, their sponsorship dollars, their seats, et cetera. Like that's so true. Like I, I am 
the, the whole putting everyone into a box and this is how you make a cold call and this is what makes you successful. I've seen too many different people with too many different styles over my career to say like, there's only one way to do this other than like you just said, be yourself. Everything else will take care of itself if you're actually true, authentic and, and put in the hard work. Yes. And I, um, I really have appreciated those that, you know, have just understood and have been willing to change. Right. Cause a lot of people that, you know, you and I come in touch with may have had two or three other managers and there's just a difference in managing styles. And then all of a sudden, you know, you tell them to be themselves and be authentic and just have conversations with people and ask a general question that you would ask or you would want to be asked because we're all consumers ourselves. We're fans and we're consumers and we go through the same buying process. So once you ask and understand what's of value to that person, um, that's the most important thing. But trying to change those veteran sellers, Chris, I think has, you know, was such a challenge. But once you see that click with them, you know, the, the rest is, is just, you know, is bread and butter, uh, in my opinion. So, Christy, we work in a very, what you'd call, unique industry, right? So most people from the outside don't truly understand our lifestyle, what goes into it, how our day-to-day is, what we actually really do for a living. I think they're like, oh, there's an off-season. That's great. You go to the beach. Like, no, right. that's not how that works. <laughs> um, yeah. But how, so- why did you want to work in sports? And then has that viewpoint changed throughout now that you've been in the business for a while? Has that, has that evolved over why you actually feel rewarded to work in our industry? You know, I, um, I feel lucky to have chosen the right industry that just, you know, made sense for me. And I feel like I've, you know, I've, I've grown so much by making the decision to, work every day in something I'm really passionate about. And, you know, the one thing I always, you know, I say when I interview someone or, you know, when I, when I meet with someone is you have to be passionate about something. Um, and it could be a, the team, um, but more importantly, it could be your career. It could be managing and leading people. Um, you know, it could be really just wanting to have conversations with fans and talk sports all day. But you have to have a passion for something to be successful in this industry. Um, and I feel felt very strongly that my passion for my career and my passion for, you know, just being involved in the sports world every day and have be around like-minded people, um, that's really driven my success. Has your viewpoint on like our business since you've been in it now for for a number of years? changed? Was there anything that was has been surprising to you that you found out that was different early in your career that you were like, wow, I never thought this is the way it really worked? Yeah. I never knew it was going to be so hard to sell sports. Um, that was a fact. Um, I never knew it was going to be just like roll up your sleeves and be really, really hard. But Thank I, you. I, Thank it, you. It was like, I could just show up and you work for a team and they call you and give you money. I'm like, no, that is not how this works. Like, oh, this is going to be, you know, so easy. And it's like, no, no, no. It is such hard work. And, you know, it becomes harder when your your fans can't see the light of the day on if your team's going to ever turn the corner. And um, I don't think people really understand what, you know, how hard it is. Now, yeah, is it more exciting than selling, you know, copy machines? Of course. Um, but 
it is really hard work. And I think that that is not understood. Um, and I think over time, I have realized that um, it is, it's evolving and it's changing. And, you know, when it becomes hard to sell people on a pricey season ticket, and now it's this, you know, I'm so much more comfortable staying at home. And, um, and then you do that, you know, it's better to, to watch the game at home. You, there's just so many things that have evolved that has made the ticket sales process, you know, a bit more challenging and the, as the years have gone by. No, I, I love that. Like people, I think, think once they get in the door, they're going to start all of a sudden, this will be an easy job. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to play fancy sports. I'm going to go to the games. And that's what my career path is going to be without realizing how much effort and time goes into making this a billion dollar industry is on the back and sweat of all people like us who have built this up from the ground of nothing. Like people don't need season tickets. They don't need sports sponsorships. What we're selling is a, is a luxury, yeah. not necessarily a priority. And you have to find ways to get to the folks who are able to want to afford what we we're selling because it's not cheap. Right. And it's also from a time commitment the world has completely evolved from when you and I started doing this of how much time people have of which they can allocate to specifically in hockey, 41 nights a year. That's a lot of time. So it, I love, yeah, it is not easy. This is not an easy no. business. It might be one of the hardest because it's juggling life and also trying to figure out how to be all on 24 seven. Like we don't have a normal lifestyle, right? Can you talk a little bit about how have you gone about managing and balancing work-life balance? Because I think, as a young person, or even as we get older, that is our biggest challenge in our industry. Like, so how do you go about that? Work-life balance is such an interesting, you know, it's such an interesting word phrase, right? I don't know that work-life balance exists. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, when you are doing something that you love to do and you're passionate about doing, sometimes I don't, look at it as I'm working. And I don't know that I feel like I go to work every day. I'm doing so many things that I love to do, leading people, training people, you know, and really helping them progress in their career paths. And I'm doing it selling sports. So I feel like I've really always had a balance because I, if you love what you do, you never go to work a day in your life, right? And I have felt that be my reality, um, which I've, I've loved. And now, you know, when you talk about spending a few more hours at the office than maybe some other jobs entail, that is, that is true. Um, but I just feel like it's such a, it's so rewarding at the, in the end. And I have also learned, especially through working from home, I have learned that you don't have to spend you know, those 10 hours in the office to be effective. And my time management has improved so much from day one on um, how to handle, you know, being inundated with projects and building decks and making sure the team is still successful and having my own responsibilities. You just, you know, I, I've read so much on how to balance my time so I can walk away you know, at a good time during the day or during the week and, you know, can, can focus on my, on my personal life. Um, so no, that was a two pronged approach to the answer, but, um, I do feel like the sports industry does put in a lot more hours than 40. Um, 
but a lot of it doesn't really feel like work. So true. I mean, when you do love what you're doing, it doesn't feel like you work 60, yeah. 70 hours a week, specifically when it culminates with a game, right? Because that's what we all, that's why we're here. Yes. But I, I agree with you that this, this, these past four months has completely opened my eyes to the unnecessary being in the office till six, seven o'clock and missing the family dinner because at the end of the time, you're going to remember a lot more of those family dinners than necessarily the six to seven o'clock hours. And I've been just as, like you said, almost more productive and yes. been more using my time in a much more wisely manner because you've been forced to. And I think when this does click back to normal, I think our industry is going to have a hard look at itself to see how we adjust and move forward to make sure people can find that time that we need to spend with our families. So true. And it's, and I think, you know, all leaders, presidents, CEOs that are looking, you know, at their staff, I think it's, this has been an eye-opening experience for all of us. You know, you, you, you have a feeling you trust your team and, and they're going to be productive. And then they just exceed any expectation you had March 16th going into this. And it's, it's really been such a, you know, um, such a great experience to watch and see that we can all be successful and, you know, have 40 hour work weeks. It was, it's been a great experience. I don't know if you feel that same way, but yes, I agree. Like you're really exceeding what I thought I was going to be able to do in eight hours at home, just so much more productive. Yeah. And you and I live in two areas of the country where commuting is not fun to begin with. So anytime you cut out that, that's, that's forget it. I got your mindset totally, it changed. The minute you woke up, your mindset changes that you're not dealing with traffic. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of sitting on the mass pike or, or route three, getting into the stadium, you've just gained back an hour and a half to three hours of your life on a daily basis that you can be more productive than sitting in your car. It's so true. Culture, such a buzzword. Yes. Big buzzword for everybody. And it means a lot of different things, a lot of different people. I I say still to this day, I mean, I, I mean, being in full transparency, I have not worked for an organization like the giants since I've left just based on how they are and who they are and how they run It's very big time reputation of being a family run organization. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, there's people who are still there 17 years later, and there's probably about a hundred of them that are still there from 30 years ago. What's it been like to go to an organization such as them transitioning from some other organizations you've worked with? What does culture mean to you now more as your career has progressed? Because for me, I care now more almost about more of the people who I work with on a daily basis than I do about who I work for, right? Versus like, I don't care what name or team I work for as long as I work with great individuals. How do you approach that? How should younger folks approach that? And how should they ask that question? Like they're talking to Christine interview. How do I ask you what's the culture like? And, and is there a better way of just saying that, that very blah question? Well, you know, it, it, that is such a great question, Chris, because honestly, we, we all sit around and we do want to say, oh, you know, I, I work for this big name and this big team. And um, really, it's all about your fit within that organization. Who do I directly work for? Who's my direct report? And what does he or she believe in? How do they manage their department? What are they looking for? What are their, you know, what are their beliefs in sales, in service? Um, you know, we spoke before about, um, you know, having some type of, you know, um, list and, and ideas you read from when you get on the phone and do I have a script for my team and what all the ideals that they believe in, does it align with yours? So as I continue my career, I have put so much effort into learning about who I am working for and with, 
to see how aligned we are or how different we may be in our thoughts of sales, service, and the industry as a whole. You know, I know being different can help with different vantage points, but when you are completely opposite about thinking through how sales should be and how you handle your season ticket base and what is, you know, suites look like and how do you go about, you know, adding value to people. If you completely are misaligned on that, I don't know that you're going to truly find success with that company or your, your boss and ultimately that department. So for me, I have put so much more weight and stock in if I am a culture fit for what they have there, um, rather than, you know what, this is the right role. This is the right title for me. You know, I have the perfect size team. To me, it doesn't matter. Who am I working for? And how are we going to progress it? progress in our careers together because we align and have the same vision. I love that. Cause I, as we've gone and through, and I'm sure as you've been in the business long enough, you start to realize there's certain teams and organizations that you're not a fit for, which I think is a good thing to have that self-awareness, right? Like I know I won't work out at certain places. I won't even consider a role there. Not because I don't like the role or the people. I just know I'm not going to fit there culturally. It's just not for me. Yes. And it's, it really makes such a difference, you know, when you are, when you're, when you know what you're getting yourself into and you've done your research, um, you're, you're so much further ahead. And sometimes that perfect role and that perfect job on the perfect team, it doesn't mean anything if, you know, um, the person I'm working for doesn't like the, the sales team to have an approach of, you know, authenticity, and maybe they have a different approach. And I'm not saying it doesn't work because there's a lot of sales approaches that work, but if we're misaligned, then we're just, um, it's just going to be so much harder to build the right culture if we're trying to build it in different ways. Along those lines. So a lot of our listeners are trying to figure out their, their best way into the industry and are looking for advice and what to do and what not to do. And sometimes they come a little ill-prepared as we see you've interviewed, I'm sure probably at this point, hundreds of people. What are some of your trigger points that you hear in an interview that you're like, all right, this person already doesn't get it. Like what, what drives you crazy from some of the younger folks when they come to you and they say X, Y, Z, you're like, you're done next move on. (laughs) Chris, you literally just gave me these visions of these awful interviews that I've been in. They just all came rushing back. And the thing that I absolutely despised, and, and at times I would actually let the 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 rep know or the candidate know, like, uh, please don't ever say that again. And I've <laughs> done that a few times because it bothered me to this point is I'm a huge fan of the Jets. Oh, I'm a oh. huge fan of the Knicks, right? I mean, I'm Game sure you've heard it. Oh, but please don't ever say that. It, I don't want to ever hear you're the biggest fan of this team that I'm trying to hire you for. No, because I, I, I equate it to, I, and I, I've beaten the dead horse. Like I love food. It doesn't mean I should be the chef, right? Like it doesn't right. mean I should go back in the kitchen <laughs> and be like, I'm not going to start cooking. Like, great. That doesn't qualify you for this role. Like tell me how you bring value besides just knowing who the starting right guard is, right? Like that doesn't do anything in the long run. Like what are you passionate about with our industry and why are you the fit for this specific role? The other one, I, I mean, I don't know if this drives you crazy and I know you probably get a lot more now because in the ticket sales world, 
do you do you hear I just want to get my foot in the door so I want to just take this job that I'm applying for that you actually need to hire every day every day I I would hear that and I would just say I mean un, do your research you know just just understand what you're walking into and please understand like there are there are so many ways that you can walk into an interview and to say that you just want to get your foot in the door when you're taking time of a vice president or a senior director, and that's what you want to say to them, um, you're just not going to stand out. You're not going to make your mark. Um, because you're, I, I appreciate the honesty. It's just not, it's, it's, it's not how you want to, you know, move forward in an interview. Right. Because you as the hiring manager are looking for someone who wants that job that you've put out into the market that you need to hire for, not someone who wants to just get their foot in the door to then said, leave said job in a year or two, and probably not even in the same realm, but they just want to move over to a different department. So that's a great, so we, we, we debate this a lot and we have a lot of discussion around this topic. Do you think if you wholeheartedly have no interest in sales and you're like, I want to be in social media, now that our industry has evolved the way it has, is a career path of starting in ticket sales and then landing in social media even on the radar for people anymore? I mean, that is um, absolutely not, is the short answer. Um, you know, I, the only positive I see by going through the sales department is or service department or just getting into ticketing is that you get a backbone and understand fans, which I think some departments could use, right? To really understand our fan base. But the, the point of going through the ticketing department so you can get to another department, um, you, it, it just is not, it's not the right path people should take anymore. And I know people have gotten that advice and it, it kills me because we've all, you know, we, I'm, I'm hoping that you're speaking to the right people and the right, you know, veterans in our industry that do not give you that advice. You do not pick up a phone and <clears throat> become a good sales rep when ultimately you want to be in the marketing department. No, you, and I, 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 it's almost why this podcast started, Christy. It was the amount of times we kept hearing that from folks of like, oh, yeah, I've heard just get my foot in the door in ticket sales and transition to a different role because now I can make a name for myself. Like I'm like, one, if you're good at your job and you're crushing the sales department, they're not going to take you off of a revenue generating role to move you to a non-revenue generating role. Two, if you don't like what you're doing and you're not good at your job, you're going to lose your job because you're not producing. And three, if you go in and you do, say you tread water for three years, you do okay. And that role opens up that's now three years required of having social media experience, what are you going to say in that interview that you've done for the last three years other than ticket sales? How are you now qualified to run a social media account? So <laughs> it doesn't and, make any sense. No. And and when you are focused on the, you know, the option of getting into one department, you're never going to care, focus, and be passionate about what you're doing. And it's you're just going to, you're going to fail so much more quickly. Um, and, it's sad that it's still out there. It's 2020. And I think I heard that when I got into the industry in 2003. And it's still something that people wonder. Um, I get hit up on LinkedIn all the time. And I actually take the time to meet with people that's not even connected to anyone in my, you know, 
in my in any of my connections because I know how much of a struggle it is for people to kind of, you know, get the right advice and see and and you know and follow the right path. And I still hear it. I want to get into marketing, but I feel like I should be in the sales department first. What? I I like when we started in the two thousand early two thousands, front offices looked a lot different. I mean, internet barely existed, right? Teams were barely yeah. having websites. Back then, it might have been true, and you could have carved away and found a way to like find an, a, a niche. Our front offices have doubled, tripled in size. Everyone's specialized in what they do, specifically at the major league level. At the minor league level, different story. Like you do, you do still a little bit of everything. You do a little bit of hodgepodge. You get your feet wet in different departments. But if you're applying for an inside sales role at Harris Blitzer, say, and your full intent is all of a sudden to go work in the PR department, game over. Like that's not going to work. Go find a PR job somewhere else that gets you the right to have that interview for when your, your your time comes that you can tell your story of what you've done in PR to be successful in the PR department. Yes. So management style, you've been fo- you've been challenged, I'd say, as we kind of talked before we even launched this podcast. You've been with the organization eight months, probably four and a half now of which have been at home. How have you gone about? First of all, keeping your staff motivated electronically, uh, and then also making sure that everything is being done. And, and what? It, and taking aside that, how do you typically uh, approach a management uh, style, and when it's non-COVID? I guess is the best way to ask that question. Sure, sure. So, starting with the first part, um, it was so important to me to make sure that the staff saw me but that I wasn't micromanaging, right? We're working from home and I really believe in empowering my staff. So we didn't do overkill of two, three Zoom meetings a week. Um, I did one Zoom meeting and I continue with one-on-ones with them over the phone unless they want to, you know, they want to go in person. I mean, excuse me, in Zoom. Um, I want to be there for them, but I have to tell you with, with not being you know, right around the corner so they could pop in the office, um, people have become self-sufficient with, I don't have an answer, but you know what? Let me, let me go and find that out as opposed to just running over to me and asking me that answer. And I've really empowered them to do that. You know, I don't know that answer, but Amy would, so why don't you reach out to her? And I think that that has motivated them because normally people are like, you know, well, let me, let me figure it out and I'll get back to you. You figure it out. We're all working for home. We're all in the same department. So I've, I felt like the motivation has increased just from empowering them to go and to speak to other people in different departments, call them, you know, set up a Zoom with them and really, you know, get the answers that they need by themselves. I've been told from them that's, you know, help motivate them a bit. And we do, uh, we, we do, we all learn and grow together by watching some webinars. We do about two a week. Um, we send some key takeaways around to the team. We read them. I compile them. I put them, you know, on a, on a word doc so we can go back to them in the future. But now we have, you know, um, we have a webinar or an article we just read. We all put our key takeaways there, how it relates to what we're doing now and our organization. And, um, and then, you know, we always go back to those. So learning has been super helpful. Um, we focused on having them become experts in our CRM or Salesforce system. Um, you know, you, you build confidence in that system and you become organized as a sales and service rep. 
and they have done just such an exceptional job becoming an expert in our system, which has really, you know, really helped um, in general. A lot of questions that would go back and forth, and now they they have all the answers, um, which has been great. So we've been, you know, we've been staying in touch, but you know, not not overwhelming. Um, they have, you know, their their weekly, daily, and weekly goals and and outreach and. Um, and we always talk about best practices. You know, we have the time now, Chris, I feel like we're normally in our daily lives. We don't to stop and really critique what we're doing. That's our critique, our outreach and how we're handling calls to critique our organizational skills, critique the emails that we send. You know, when we're going a mile a minute, um, we don't really take that much needed time to evaluate our process um, you know, evaluate our sales skills, evaluate, you know, our emails. Um, and now I feel like we do, when we have that time, it's helped all of us become such better professionals. I couldn't agree. Like Creamore, this has been such a time for self-assessment and realizing where, where, where your strengths and weaknesses are. And I think uh, we've had some conversations with other folks over the past couple of months with executive levels where it's exposed some people, right? Like where your, where yes. your shortcomings are when you don't have the the office to kind of hide some of your shortcomings and rely on other people to cover them up where it's definitely been a, a way, an eye opening experience, I'm sure for some, uh, whether it be a leadership style or a management style or lack thereof for some folks. Right. But yeah, no, it's definitely, I think some people have, have learned a lot about themselves and a lot about their organization by seeing how people have reacted to crisis, right. And how they handle it. And one of the things from a younger perspective, for folks, I mean, you and I both lived through the financial crisis. I went through the Boston Marathon bombing. There's always going to be something that comes along that you never could plan for in your career. And adversity and adaptability is is what makes sports what sports is, right? How do we re- how do we recover and how do we part of the solution instead of part of the problem? Yes. And wh- what is your attitude towards facing those challenges head on? Because this won't be the last one people face. It won't be the last one you and I face, likely in our career. It might be the hardest for sure, but it won't be the last thing that comes along. Um, and it's just being able to adapt to what is given to you versus put your head in the sand and go away for a few months. That's, this isn't a vacation, right? And we, you know, one, one of the things that had come up in our weekly huddles were, you know, well, we know how we're handling it and we're obviously in tune with our department and we're, we're over communicating, but what are other departments doing? And And it led me to say, why don't we just bring other departments into our weekly huddles so we can be clear, right? Because we're not in the office. We can't pop into someone's office. So let's now take um, our you know, portion of our weekly huddle. We bring in leaders in other departments and they talk through what they're doing, how they're handling it, what they're getting ready for, what this may bring, you know, based on what the future, you know, what the future of the season holds capacity of fans in the stadium or not? Do we have a limited schedule or full schedule? And what is everyone doing? And what what are they planning for? And, you know, what are their goals and objectives? And, you know, not only does it help us figure out how we can align if we don't, if we're not already aligned, but more importantly, it just keeps us so much closer as an organization. And not to mention, I was in the office for two and a half months before we left. So myself and three other people I hired, we don't really know a lot of other departments. Right. 
So it's almost like this learning curve all around where my veterans are really, you know, getting on the phone with these people and, and, and really understanding how the departments are operating outside of, you know, premium. And then, you know, really, I mean, we talk personally too. How have you been handling COVID and, you know, how have you been, you know, leading or, or going through your day to day? And it's been just such a great experience because again, when we're getting ready for training camp at this point in any given season, um, we're not really talking to the other departments, right? Everyone has their head down and is focused on the task at hand. And now it's like we we have these moments where everyone could take 20, 30 minutes and tell us about their their you know department and their day and their goals. And we just feel much closer as an organization now because of it. That's great. That's awesome. I think that's... I mean, in terms of the way, it doesn't surprise me. And this will kind of transition into my my next statement slash question. So my my first role out of out of college was with with what I mentioned with the Giants. It was in community relations with Ethan and Allie, who are still there. Yes. Um, and I think for me personally, being in that department, specifically with an organization like the Giants, really shaped my career and my view of of the sports industry moving forward. And it, it was eye-opening in the sense that I never really understood truly what I was the industry I was going to work in until I had that role. Meaning the power that I had to influence positive change in someone's life or a children or a child by just doing the simplest of little thing to make a memory for them that would last forever has stuck with me throughout my whole entire career. And so when people ask me like what is it about this industry that's that you love, it's that, that I, I, I tell people my, my job is to make grown men cry when I walk them on the field at Fenway Park for the first time. And like, you just see that emotion and people are always like, Oh, is, is, does this get old? This must be old. I'm like, the day this gets old is the day I'm done. Like, I don't know a better industry that we, that there would be that can have the unification that we do in society, specifically when it needs it, which right now more than ever, uh, and the power that you have to create those lasting memories for folks, like everyone's childhood memories that are sports fans is like going to a game with their, with their dad or their mom or some experience that revolves around. I got a ball flipped to me by someone with that said, knowing you work for an organization that is all in on making sure that society is in a better place. And, and is, that's amazing to work for someone who's like that in mine as well. The Red Sox have been front and center with in supporting black lives matter. We're doing a ton of stuff internally now to reassess our ourselves You've obviously not on the race side, but on the female side of the sports of business in a typically male dominated world for a younger female aspiring executive out there, what pitfalls have you come across and how you've overcome them? How has it changed over the past 17 years now that you've been in this business? How can we be better? So as it relates to, you know, just being a female in this industry, um, I think we all have to embrace being different. And I knew being a female on the sales side of the industry was quite different, right? A lot of my counterparts were, you know, a little bit more focused on the service side of ticketing. And I I just embraced being the one female that was, you know, in a leadership role. Um, it paved the way for all of my female inside sales reps coming through, just having a role model. I thought it was just such a, 
I just embraced it from the, from the second that I was in here knowing I was different and I loved it. Um, different voice, different vantage point uh, than all the others. And even though I, um, you know, didn't go and, and, and join that golf outing, um, if I ever wanted to, I just, if I wasn't asked, I just joined, right? It's the same thing. It's, it's, you, you're not part of something and you want to be, and you know, the, the, the guys are going and golfing with some of our sponsors just join or figure it out. Right. Everyone always embraced that. I never felt like I was on the outside. I, I, I really felt like I just always, you know, I built confidence that when I walked in a room, I deserved to be there. And I think that that is something that I try to instill in, you know, any of my, you know, my, my newer sales reps or sales managers, um, you know, have confidence that you belong there, no matter no matter who you are. If this is your first management role, or you're a female amongst you know seven other males in the in the in the room, you you belong there. You have this job for a reason. You're in this industry for a reason. I've proved myself over and over again numerous times, and I'm confident when I walk in a room now. And I think that people have also around me have embraced that, you know, and that I've never been pushed to, you know, at the beginning of my career, I was pushed to a service role. And one of the, the biggest things I remember, Chris, is being offered a service, uh, a manager role on a service department. And I was a sales rep at the time, and I opted not to take it because I wanted to wait for that sales wow. manager role. Yeah. And that was one of my biggest turning points because I said, oh, wow, did I just, you know, did I just really give up a management role to stay a sales rep? But I had such confidence that I did not want to take a role that I wasn't passionate about. And I wasn't passionate about that. It was just the management role that was available at the time, Chris. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it up and I'm saying no. And it was the best decision I ever made because I said to myself, if I need to prove myself for another six months and wait for the right role to come up, why am I going to take a role I don't want? It's going to pave a, a way potentially for a career path that I didn't want. And it, it ended up working out. And I do attribute that to me just knowing exactly what I wanted and not settling for anything else. It just reiterates, do not chase the title, do not chase the money, right? Chase what your dream is and know right. what you what you belong doing versus just being like, oh, I get to say I'm a manager now. Like, great. If you're managing something you could care less about, who cares? You're going to hate it. And it really was such a, um, it's, it was such a pivot in my mind. And you know, and I said, and I didn't know why, and I don't think I was offered it because I was a female. Absolutely not. But I said, this is the path I'm going to take and I'm, I'm going to get there. And I, I do just feel like that's such a, um, it's such a pivotal moment and exactly, you know, how you just summarized it, which is, doesn't, the money doesn't matter. The title doesn't matter. You have to love what you do and you cannot settle for anything else just because maybe for the moment it gives you, you know, a higher title and a, and a higher salary. That's literally, you can, you can take over our podcast from now on. Cause that's exactly what you say. <laughs> so if you, want, if you want to take my job, that's fine. I, I need a break. Uh, go say on, on the society stuff with obviously the, the lot of hot button topics right now. What do you think as an organization's, and, and, and do we have a responsibility as sports to, to be involved in this? Um, I, I am on the fence of yes, I think, because we do have a very, very powerful microphone and can act change. 
and we've 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 thrown around again another buzzword. I think a lot of organizations and, and sports organizations and teams have said diversity, diversity, diversity. But we really probably haven't done enough, right, to to make that come to fruition. What do you? What's your take on that? So it's it's really interesting because um, some organizations, you know, are much more focused on it and. Um, and it's, it seems like it's now just transitioned to, it's a focus in everyone's mind as it should be. Um, what I truly believe is that to affect the change and to have really strong, diverse candidates, I want to start getting in the door with people early, right? And letting them know that what this, you know, what exactly what your podcast is for, what really is this industry about? What do people do? They don't just take a break, you know, on the off season. What exactly happens? I don't know that the right people and, and a, a large enough group of people understand that. So education to me early is so important. When I was with uh, the garden, um, we built such strong, diverse group you know, theme nights there. They'd never had that before. It's a simple concept in sports, but we had built theme nights and all of those theme nights that we built revolved around an education process before the game of understanding and having such a diverse group come talk to them. All different, you know, walks of life, different, you know, where they grew up, what they, you know, how they grew up. And it was such a, it was such a, um, compelling, you know, uh, experience for people. They listened. We had college kids come from all different colleges all over the U S just to talk to, you know, such a diverse group of us up on the stage and ask us their questions. And when I saw so many of them apply to our jobs, they had such a strong knowledge, um, of what the industry was and what they wanted to do. And I, you know, we, we hired a couple of people from, you know, from those colleges just because they, you know, they saw it, they learned about it. And, and I, that education to me is, is you can't put a price on that. And I, I wish I can do it more. I wish I could be involved in educating people more. And, you know, the more we can get that information out, I think the better, you know, the, the more diverse we, we will be. Yeah, education. I think across the board, I think we can all agree, is is paramount. Specifically, getting to your point to the folks at a younger age to give them the real, true background and and prepare them financially what they're ahead. Like, there's no secret here. You make no money when you start working in sports. They that's plain and simple. Like, you got to be able to be creative to find ways around that. And I also think as organizations and and such, we also probably have to do a better job of making it more accessible for folks who might not be able to survive off of what we sometimes offer people to start out their careers um, Absolutely. To, to live in a major metropolitan city and also have student loans and pay rent. It seems daunting for a lot of people. And I think that it probably hurts our, our candidate pool because quite frankly, in reality, you, some people just can't afford to do that. And it's, it's not a matter of, of will. It's a matter of they can't. And it's, I think we do need to do a better job of addressing those things and creating programs as such instead of just start. And we've, we've said it all the right things for years. We want to do it. We want to do it. Diversity, diversity. What does that mean? Like you got to actually put something in action on what you talked about with the garden. 
I, the, I know for everything, all the crap that you sometimes get, they have been extremely paramount in terms of leading the charge in some of these things. And what else can we keep doing and learning from all those experiences to make us a better industry and more inclusive industry to work in? Albeit female, black, Asian, whatever. I just think we we definitely have now, again, self-assessment, realized we said a lot of the right things. We haven't necessarily done all the right things. Yeah, you couldn't have hit it more, you know, more spot on. And I think it's, it's just our, you know, um, it's our God-given right, but we should feel like we have a, a, another job and that job is to get out there, educate and, and take this next step, which um, it can't just be words anymore. And I feel so, you know, I have, feel, I have felt, excuse me, compelled to answer every single LinkedIn chat or in mail I receive um, to educate because I know that people are coming to me and I know how so many times, be it me or my counterparts, have, have kind of just not taken the time and uh, to, to really accept these, you know, these requests to just talk for 10 minutes. And if that's the best I, you know, I can do right now, then I will continue to do it. And I have done so many during, you know, this stay at home quarantine. And I, I have said too to every single candidate, I am happy and willing to talk to any of your friends, colleagues, um, you know, classmates to just educate them. And it doesn't have to be about the sports industry. It can just be about, you know, having 17 years experience in, you know, in the working world where I've, you know, where it's come from, from 2003 to today and how we can all make it better because we all have a job here. And um, I, I hope that these education process just continues and I am more than willing to assist in any way possible. I, well, I'm going to, everyone who's listening you heard Christy. She said, "Reach out to her on LinkedIn, and she'll respond." And I'm pretty sure she's not just saying that because we. I I agree with the exact same thing. I giving your time is sometimes just as valuable as giving money, right? Specifically to people who actually are caring about what you say, whether it be 10 minutes, 15 minutes. That's so valuable to provide people that outlet to use you and, and use your experience to help better prepare them for the next executive that they talk to, so they don't make that mistake of saying, "I like the New York Giants." Great. Fantastic. We all do. What else can you bring to the table and how do you add value? So love that you do that. And that's why, again, you're sitting here taking your time out of the day to do this podcast is because you're giving back your your knowledge and your time to folks who, who are going to find it very useful. And I hope that our listeners do reach out and say, Christy, thank you so much. This has been amazing because for me, even I always learn every, I learn something new every time I talk to folks too. And, you know, Chris, I would also add, and, you know, I would implore every executive or manager or leader that that interviews people that um, if a candidate is not the right fit and or the interview didn't go well it is it is so important to take the time once you make your decision on whatever candidate you move forward with to take the time with those that didn't make the cut and explain to them because I feel like so many times we all get the question you know what you know, what happened? What did I do? What didn't I do? And sometimes it's just you versus the talent pool, right? And someone else is a better fit. But to take the time to go over with your candidates, 
what you saw and how they could improve, even just based on the interview process alone, is so helpful to their future. And you'll feel so much better just actually being transparent about what they could have and maybe could consider doing different in the future. And and I have um, I have just found like it 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 takes maybe five ten more minutes with someone when you call them to let them know they didn't they they didn't get the the role and it means the world to them and you can change someone's career path just by giving them the advice you you know that that you want to give them but sometimes don't take the time to do. Christy, I went on a rant about what you just said about two episodes with my partner, Rob, about this specific topic of- Did you? <laughs> literally drive me crazy because we have a lot of kids that come through our FSM associate program who start like, the amount of people who don't even respond or even tell people they didn't get the job in our industry is my is baffling to me. Let alone, it's just like this generic email that might be sent out of like, oh, teamwork online, we went with another candidate, see you later. Like that is so lazy- and so, like, that is not who we're supposed to be as an industry. Oh. That drives me crazy. It's like, it it really does. And I have been in organizations that hand, handle it like that. And, you know, the one thing that we can do is just say, no, I'd, I'd rather handle it. You know, I'd rather personalize this, right? They've if taken you got to the interview part, I understand. But if you went through time to come in and sit down with executives such as yourself and all the other executives and went through the interview process... We owe it to that person to give back their time. Like that drives me crazy. We, we absolutely owe it to them. It's 100% true. And that's so funny that you went on that rant because it really, it really bothers me. And it's, it's such a simple way to get through the process, but it's just not effective. It's not effective for us, for our future. You know how many times that I've, you know, changed roles and, and teams and it interviewed the, the same people, right? And the fact that I spent some time with them reflected in that second interview. And that to me, I mean, I didn't need proof because it's just the right thing to do. And we owe it to people, but to have that proof and interview someone for a second time and actually see the difference was, it's incredible. And it, it just is, is a reason to do it. So um, I really hope that anyone who's listened to your, your prior rant order this one, really takes this to heart because it's it's really important advice. At least I have backup now. I have somebody you backing do. me up. So I'm right that, there with you. That helps. <laughs> uh, in terms of your career, um, real quick, so we, I know we you gotta we gotta go sell some giant PSLs. Uh, <laughs> we've talked a lot about some deep stuff here in, in our industry, but the, the one of the best things about what we do is the memories that we get to have and the experiences that come along that there's no price tag that you can put on. I mean I have two World Series rings, albeit from a team that I grew up despising. But hey, look, they're two World Series rings. It's got <laughs> it's got me ringing out of the will from my parents. I mean, my brother's an only child. That's another story because I grew up rooting. I'm sure you're going to figure out who I used to root for. Um, what, is, what are some great memories that you've had that stick out in your mind? You're like, wow, this is really cool what I do for a living. Well, the first one um, that really stands out was um, my first – big sales contest that I won at the Jets put me on Woody's helicopter and we flew uh, with the top four sales reps. And at that time we had a team of like probably 70 to 80 people. 
And the top few reps got on a helicopter and took a spin around the city, Yankee Stadium, Coney Island. I like, well, I mean, I remember it. it. It was just so cool that he offered that and we were able to do it, you know, at least five or six times um, for the winners. And it was, it was pretty incredible. So that's something that I'll never forget just by, you know, um, being a leader in, in the department. Um, but one of the main things, and obviously the Jets haven't had success as of recent, but when we had gotten there, they had made the AFC championship game, championship game two years in a row. Um, and that was at the beginning of when we opened MetLife Stadium. And, and I mean, you know, it's definitely not the World Series, but AFC championship game is, awesome. you know, pretty, pretty amazing. And so to be at that game and be a part of it um, was just on was really unbelievable and being you know stadiums that that big and and just it's it was a, it's just a testament to you know the NFL and what it brings to fans and to be a part of that and clearly coming off of the Panthers I had never sniffed anything close to that so it was uh, it was definitely something memorable um but in that you know in lieu of being really cheesy I can tell you that one of my best memories um, was the day I was able to take, you know, inside sales reps that were starting out in their career and promote them. Um, and we moved them to the right position and we were promote, we promoted them. And now to see them as directors in this industry, starting out as, you know, hiring them as inside sales reps is probably memory that I will last forever. Cause that is, you know, that is something where people came in the door and did their job so well. And now, you know, our leaders and, and high level executives in the NFL, it's just um, it, it's just something that, you know, you, you take with you and, and really helps you, helps drives you on the days that are, you know, hard to stay motivated. And you look at who you've led and what you've done and to see them so successful, it just makes me, you know, makes me proud to do what I do. Love that. I, I totally agree in terms of feeling more rewarded from seeing folks that you either mentor or bring up have success. I feel it feels sometimes better and not sometimes it feels better than closing a deal. It just does. There's just something about that human connection of where you had that impact in terms of, it's, it, I get, I get why teachers are teachers, right? When you can have an impact on people that to make them and put them down the right path. And be part of that is something that you can't, again, put a price tag on. There's nothing, there's no commission check that can equate to that. No, not at all. Well, Christy, this has been, again, educational for me. A lot of fun. Love speaking, first of all, to people who speak the same language, but also work for my favorite football team. Um, and my first, my first job out of school where I tell everybody they drafted me and Eli and I'm still going. He's retired. So I guess... I th- <laughs> I guess I'm better, uh, but That's I also great. I also didn't get the I also didn't get the signing bonus that I delivered to him his first year there. So uh, he could probably retire a little bit earlier than I can. Yes, a so, little bit. Uh, but uh, hey, thank you so much. Best of luck in terms of navigating this next couple of months as we all face the uncertainty as I go through it right now with baseball. I know football's right around the corner. Crazily enough, we're already in July, which is yeah. crazy to say. Yeah. Um, and I know that just based on people that we both have connections with Brian who put us in touch uh, that you'll be fine and make sure that the giants are probably sold out and you'll put everyone out of business. So, <laughs> um, 
Chris, uh, thank you so much for, you know, the invitation and, you know, uh, Brian, if he listens to this, Brian Specia, thank oh, he's you listening. Know, for putting us in touch. And um, honestly, I, I really, um, I have so much, you know, respect for what you're doing and for really, you know, helping people uh, understand the industry a little bit better and, and getting such, you know, um, such good people on here to really help, uh, you know, help people understand what this industry is about. So, you know, kudos to you for all your success in this. It's they're great to listen to ever since Brian's been on here. I have been, you know, I've been an advocate of this, uh, this podcast. So thanks for the invite. No, thank you. And then anyone who's listening, if you don't reach out to Christy, you're not doing your homework and you don't belong in this industry. So she gave you the opening. <laughs> Go take it. Look good, luck figuring out, good luck figuring out her email though, because that one's I'm not giving that out. That if you can figure out Christy's email, then you're then you're really good at your job. <laughs> <laughs> Find her on LinkedIn. Appreciate that. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. You're welcome. Talk soon. Appreciate it. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com/safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.